Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Before the Storm and also the Es Una Final podcast uh, uh, as it is because if you're listening to this on the audio version, you're listening to an episode of the Es Una Final podcast and if you're watching us, you're watching us on Madrid Betar's uh, YouTube channel uh, on another episode of Before the Storm. Before a very significant storm, we have Real Madrid versus Chelsea second leg. Real Madrid won the first leg surprisingly comfortably. I think it, it took us all by surprise pretty drastically how Real Madrid performed. We're going to talk a little bit about that and also we're going to talk about uh, how Real Madrid can shape up uh, against Chelsea in this game. In the show today, I have uh, two of my great friends, Charlie and Eric. Both of you, welcome to the show. And uh, as we were just discussing before the show, that two of you are uh, on with me for the first time, I think. Yeah, together indeed. Yep, super excited for this. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, both of you, for joining. So, Charlie, let's let's start with you. I haven't had the chance to speak with you after the first leg. I've I've had the chance to speak with Eric after the first leg. Uh, how surprised you were uh, to see Real Madrid basically tactically dominate Chelsea? Chelsea were still pretty much physically fit. Uh, Tuchel did get a few things wrong. But the amount of things that Carlo Ancelotti got right was pretty surprising for, I think, for all of us. So how, how did you see the first leg, if we can talk a little bit about that? I was absolutely shocked. And you hit everything on the head. I mean, Carlo got a ton right that he hasn't for much of the season. Tuchel got a ton wrong, which if two months ago you told me this, I thought Chelsea was going to blow us out of the water until about mm -hmm. a week before this match. But then all this stuff happened with Chelsea off the pitch. And I think their whole mentality has changed and all the players and coaches, they've gone into like a non-predator mode. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're all shocked. They're like a deer in headlights. And I would never have expected this from them, but, I mean, Real Madrid looked so competent. I mean, they were playing out of the back. Like, they knew how to play out through a press. That was incredible, something I had not seen much this season. So I was absolutely shocked. And Karen Benzema, we all know he's absolutely fantastic. But to create that many open-ended chances and to like get him on the end of two consecutive headers like that was just so uncharacteristic for Chelsea, having the best defense in the world last year, or under Tuchel so far. I would not have expected any of this. Just a complete shock. Yep, true. And we will break this down a little bit further into this podcast uh, of like how particular tactical wrinkles uh, made this possible for Real Madrid and how they can replicate this uh, essentially in the second leg. But coming to Eric, Eric, you were in Madrid just a couple of weeks back. Uh, you saw the atmosphere during the Clasico. <laughs> uh, obviously uh, not very pleasant after the game, but you did see the pregame atmosphere in the Classico. We, we spoke about this before as well, but if you can like talk us through a little bit about what kind of atmosphere the players or the fans are going to, going to be in the surrounding areas they can expect tomorrow, because what I'm like seeing over on Twitter is uh, the Ultras have declared that they're going to be there 90 minutes before the game. They're going to greet them exactly the same way how they did before the uh, PSG second leg. So, uh, just from your personal experience, how intense is that uh, pre-game, a big game at, at the Bernabeu uh, in Madrid? Just talk us through a little bit. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, essentially, it's quite colorful. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start with that. Because uh, 
colorful is not a word you're going to be expecting when anything, uh, when we're talking about Madrid per se, because of the color that's white, we see. Mm-hmm. However, the name of the game over here is to just uh, shock and awe. It's like you're going to be putting a lot of colors, a lot of sound, a lot of music and a lot of people so that the opponent to some extent uh, gets a bit bit perplex essentially. And we also have to think about from this perspective that uh, Chelsea has already lost and they are kind of one step out of the equation. So although they don't have that much to lose, the atmosphere in Madrid at this stage would be essentially they're ready to get in for the kill and uh, to make things happen. We also have to think of from this perspective that uh, there hasn't been that many opportunities where uh, people in Madrid celebrated for their native club in the mm-hmm. in the recent uh, few seasons. We have seen a lot of uh, places when they have uh, really lost out on a lot of games and these are not the typical Madrid vibes that you essentially expect. So now that you know that the team is not at its 100%, but yet we are delivering results. So the people know that it's their duty to scream, to cheer, to go out kicking and screaming, so to speak. So that is the atmosphere in Madrid right now where people are super excited and they really want to show that they're going to be with this team to the very end. They're going to be... Uh, Tearing the uh, Chelsea a new one, so to speak. Yeah. So, uh, interesting thing you mentioned that uh, the like Madrid crowd hasn't been able to celebrate something uh, for long because we didn't get to celebrate the uh, league title of 1920 with the fans, obviously because of COVID. And after that, I think the biggest celebration was versus PSG in the second leg. Uh, the Classico could have been something like that, but we better not speak about that <laughs> anymore. Uh, but yeah, this is in, in that sense, this is an occasion. Uh, this is an occasion Madrid has a good lead, and uh, holding on to it would be would be a big challenge. Now, coming back to you, Charlie, the tactical things that I wanted to bring up was I I did some reading and whatever like research I've done of those readings and other podcasts after the first leg that uh, it, Matt Wilsey actually wrote a brilliant piece for Managing Madrid. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, so two things came in there. How Casemiro wasn't really looking to you know get on the ball or like tackle whoever he saw at first. He was basically screening the space, not people, not players. And the other thing is that Tony Kroos was so far deep that N'Golo Kante just lost it. He, he didn't know what to do because Tony Kroos was so far deep. Now, my question would be, Ancelotti suggested that Obviously, they would like to play the way they played in London, but they're expecting a different game from Chelsea, so he's probably going to switch things around as well. Now, since he has given out his 11 already, practically he like said that Fede Valverde is going to play and the only change is going to be Nacho for Militao. So uh, what do you think? Like, For something that has worked so well against a team so strong, it, like at least relatively, do you think like so many changes, even from a tactical standpoint, is actually necessary or like do you break something that's not broken or do you just go with what worked with in london and take it from there i genuinely don't know because the chelsea that's going to show up tomorrow at least i believe is going to be a very different chelsea that showed up in the first like i think mm-hmm. tuchel is a brilliant tactician and he realizes that he got much of 
everything wrong in the yeah. first leg. He's going to approach this totally different. And I personally don't know what he's going to come out with tomorrow. It could be totally tactically different and, or I'm sure it will be, but Chelsea, it more depends on how their performance is in his tactical mm-hmm. system. If they come out flat, I expect this to be a pretty simple game for Real Madrid. But if they come out firing in all cylinders, hot, nick a goal early, this game is totally on the wire here. Mm-hmm. One of the big things that I think is a massive, massive miss for Chelsea is Lukaku missing out on the game. Yeah. I don't know what's up with him, but just given the fact that Militao is out and you're Nacho and uh, Alaba are going to be our center-back partnership, at least fingers crossed there. I think that's who it's going to be. But you're missing out on Lukaku in that situation. They could dump crosses into him for 90 minutes and he's bound mm-hmm. to bag a hat-trick. I'd... So, I mean, that's such a huge miss for them because taking advantage of the height disparity between Lukaku or any tall forward and Nacho and Alaba would have been just massive. So obviously you're going to have to contest with Havertz, who's a fantastic movement player. Pulisic is as well, but he's not as great out of the air. So I I just, I don't know. I think it totally depends on how Chelsea try and get into the final third in this match. Because if I assume we will see Casemiro trying to take up a similar role where he will screen the back line, Tony Cruz doing something similar for some reason, the Chelsea, uh, Fan pages don't seem to be predicting Jorginho to start tomorrow. I have mm-hmm. no idea. I'm not sure on that. But they seem to be uh, going with Kovacic instead, which would make it a totally – because they're very, very different uh, player profiles. Mm-hmm. Kovacic is much more dynamic and ball-carrying mm-hmm. and things like that, but his passing, his distribution is not on Jorginho's level. So if you get someone who's willing to carry out of the midfield like that, that'll change it uh, much more as well because you have to get someone from our midfield stepping out to press them as opposed to trying to screen uh, passing mm-hmm. lines. So I, I don't know what we're going to see. I think it'll be more uh, Carlo getting five minutes into the match and trying to adjust from there and seeing how mm. Chelsea start and kind of just playing some management from then on. Yep. yep. Uh, if I, if I, add, uh, go if ahead, I go add Charlie uh, with that point, that's actually an amazing point that you bring up. But I also do, do have to add that Chelsea has been usually a team that is defensively solid, but in the last game, they were extremely lackluster over there. And uh, we have strikers in Real Madrid who can capitalize in moments of, say, one's miscalculation. So starting with tightening that defensive area would be essentially Chelsea's first priority if they want to get the game under control. And you're also very right with the Ancelotti's approach of a game management perspective rather than any anything pragmatic approach of winning the game, even that we have already won it. Yep. And yes, it's it's important. Eric brings a good point in the sense that if Madrid like scores within the five minutes, the tie is over. It's it's done. Chelsea's not gonna come back from that. Like I am the most pessimistic Real Madrid fan of all time, but even I can say that if Madrid scores early, we are going to have some sort of control over the game. Basically the first goal whoever scores is going to have a massive say in like who wins the tie. But another very important thing that Charlie brought up is the Kovacic and Jorginho, uh, Jorginho dynamic in the sense that uh, I think they, if they, you know, opt for Kovacic, it, it is going to be to dislodge or dismantle our midfields pressing because we haven't been very good pressers. Uh, from a screening perspective, Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro. Casemiro did like a fantastic job. I think his best game of the last three years, I would say. Uh, <laughs> he was he was fantastic. Uh, but even like Modric is a very good screener of of spaces. But when you ask these players to like uh, run run after 
younger, very fast, agile midfielders, they might struggle a bit. So I think from that point of view, Kovacic does make sense for uh, for Chelsea. Now, coming to our starting lineup, I don't think there should be any other changes other than Nacho for Militao. And uh, also, just to, just to pick back on another point that you said that Lukaku would be a huge miss for Chelsea. Lukaku, like, even with Militao on the pitch, he had, like, two very good headers just wide. Like, if they were on target, Courtois wouldn't have, like, done nothing. They were, like, he had so much space and time. So even with Militao, he could get those headers away. And Real Madrid have like suffered against these kind of headers all season. I remember one game against uh, Bilbao, I think Raul Garcia like tormented us like this. He didn't score, but he was like getting up to every cross first. So yeah, and from that point of view, yeah, that's going to be a problem for Chelsea. I hope it, it is a much bigger problem than we're predicting. Uh, any any other uh any other, you know, battles within the battle, Charlie? You would like to mention because uh, we would we have seen like players like Mason Mount or Havertz got the goal, but probably not the game he wanted. Otherwise, Mason Mount definitely didn't didn't have a good game. He was like pretty much, uh, you know, tortured by Real Madrid's midfield all game. Any other battles within the battles that you are looking forward to? I think it's whoever Vinicius Jr. is up against. I think that's a big one. I have no idea if they're going to start Christensen again there. It could be Azpilicueta because he's now tested negative for COVID. He could mm-hmm. be back in that right center back slot. It, it's either him or Christensen. And then I assume Azpilicueta will start, whether it's in, the, uh, in one of the three center backs mm-hmm. or at the left wing back spot. But mm-hmm. either of those two players, I'm assuming they'll play in a much deeper role where they get more support from their uh, other defenders than what uh, the way Christensen was isolated in the first leg because that was just very poor management and team setup from Tuchel. But either way, neither of those players, and I don't want to be all pace dependent here, but Vinicius Jr. has the pace to outrun either of those two in mm-hmm. quick or uh, short or long sprints. So whoever he's up against, if he can manage to isolate them, like uh, what happened with Christensen in the first mm-hmm. leg, that is a massive, massive battle that Real Madrid can take advantage of, especially in transition moments. Yep. Speaking about that, Eric, I want to talk to you yep. about the other flank of Chelsea. So I th- I'm seeing in some of the predicted 11s, they're naming Marcos Alonso. I don't think he would essentially go with that if we start with Fede Valverde because uh, Marcos Alonso is not the best defensive left back, of course, and he and he will be way up the pitch. So what if like Fede Valverde gets past him, it's basically uh, an empty run in into Chelsea's uh, uh, final third or even their penalty area. So h- how do you see that dynamic, Eric? Uh, Marcos Alonso versus Fede Valverde, or do you think it makes more sense for Chelsea to have someone like Aspilicueta on the on that left wing back position again? First of all, Chelsea wishes that they had been Ben Chilwell fit. <laughs> like that, I think has been the person uh, Tuchel has missed the most. Secondly, from uh, from a defensive perspective, what I have seen in the first leg is that it's a it was a very bad idea in general to bring in a three man backline to play against uh, Madrid. On paper, it looks like the perfect uh, backline approach. You can actually nullify two of Real Madrid's attackers because Real Madrid's third attacker nullifies himself. It's like a <laughs> self-proving uh, uh, theorem. So as we have a situation like that, 
it shows that we adding our fourth midfielder, we actually have found an extra acre of place uh, space in, in our field to make things happen. So Marcus Alonso will have to play given that Chelsea don't really have that many players to put back in. But it's going to be interesting because you would like to see Marcus Alonso attacking the ball rather mm. than defending. Uh, case in point, Phil Foden versus uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in the Liverpool-Manchester City game where uh, uh, mm. Guardiola ex- essentially exploited uh, Trent's uh, defensive uh, trait, which is uh, defending on the front foot, intercepting ball before the ball would, before going into a tackle. And uh, that w- that was exploited at that time. And even at the last time, also Phil Foden exploited James Milner's uh, lackluster defending mm. ability. So, what I'm trying to bring here, essentially, what I'm trying to piece together is that there is like a lot of pros and cons to play Marcus Alonso in a situation like this. And you, like, in a good day, you can make at least what two assists out of him. And he also contributes in goal, apart from assisting as that extra player in the, mm. in the six years box. So, in the six year line. So, essentially, it's a hit or a, it can be a hit or a miss tomorrow. Hmm. But it is too early for me to predict uh, how it will look. But uh, if I'm a betting man, I would honestly would see uh, Marcus Alonso playing again as he's the only person who can play that role over there. All right. Uh, speaking of our left back, one one thing I missed discussing uh, from the first leg is Mendy's off-the-ball movement was brilliant in the first leg. I have not seen him do this kind of like trickery off the ball because... What has been a trend throughout this season, what I've felt like, that if Vinicius is absolutely pinned on the flank, he's not as effective if, you know, compared to if he is allowed to play a little bit inside through the half space. So what, like, obviously, uh, Reese James was way up ahead, but even when he was not that further forward, Mendy's off-the-ball movement didn't really let Reese James to come very close to Vinicius. And that made Vinicius that allowed Vinicius to basically make those half space runs. So that's also going to be something interesting to see if Mendy can repeat that. He's obviously not 100% again. I mean like no surprises there. Uh Madrid tried to play down saying that he was tired. Uh, that's why he missed the league game. He obviously was not. Ancelotti confirmed he had an overload. That's why he missed the game. So uh, that's going to be something interesting uh to see that if Mendy can repeat that same kind of off-ball movement. Charlie, coming back to you, um, um, I do want to bring out Madrid's... I do want to go back to Madrid's defense again because uh, we're not having the Militao-Alaba pair tomorrow. Uh, from a communication standpoint, how important is it going to be for Nacho and Alaba to work like really closely and really well? Because Chelsea, one thing we can say for sure is Organization-wise, they're still probably far ahead of Madrid, even with with the scoreline they have. So if if our defense is not organized, they can probably like carve us out uh, just with basic passes if we are not organized enough. Now Nacho has had good games at left back and at center back as well, but then again, like he has those moments that can cause the team. So how important is going to be their communication, Nacho and Alaba? You think? 
as someone who played center back myself, I don't that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> the chemistry between the two center backs is the most important thing by far. The kind of knowledge of where you know what your center your partner is going to do mm-hmm. before they do it. And I don't believe have Nacho and Alaba played more than three games together this season as a partnership. I don't I, think they have played any games as like the center back partnership. I, I okay. can't remember. They, they have like I, played games, Nacho left back, Alaba center back like that. But I don't think they have played center back to, together. Okay. I didn't recall any of it. So no. yeah. So first the chemistry, the fact that you like know what they're going to do before they're going to do it. I believe Nacho and Alaba both have the experience to be top level communicators on the pitch. And I'm sure their organization will be, as uh, their organization communication will be as good as it possibly can be, but it's going to be those split second decisions, the tracking, mm-hmm. the uh, Havertz runs, the second and third man runs from mountain Pulisic coming out of the midfield with Kovacic uh, running in. Uh, you're trying to track the wingers and it's those little split second decisions. The ones where you cannot communicate, you just have to trust in your teammates and know what they're going to do when you make a move and what you are going to do when you, you know that they're going to do something. That's what it all really comes down to. And I am not confident that we have that. I'm not confident that we have that with Militao and Alaba at this point. <laughs> I mean, that's something that forms out of a multi-year center back partnership. Mm. So they could come out tomorrow and really surprise me, but I think we will be lucky if we keep a clean sheet tomorrow. I think we'll be very, very lucky. We are definitely going to leak chances. I know yep. that for for certain. It depends on how good of a game Courtois has, which mm-hmm. he's been on fire for the entire season. So I expect a couple of big saves out of him, just like in the first leg. But if we can keep him down to less than five shots on target, I will be very, very, very happy. Yep. Uh, Eric, uh, yeah, before, on the uh, next question, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. before you go, go to the next question, there's also one point to be mentioned is that uh, we are essentially pairing up with last season's fourth uh, choice uh, central defender and uh, last season's uh, left non-existent. Back got, <laughs> yeah. yeah, left back that we got in as a replacement uh, or like a stopgap solution for our uh, essentially left back, right back situation. And now we are expecting them to defend Real Madrid's quarterfinal game against the defending uh, Champions League winners. So yeah, it's a, it's not a not a big deal. Yep. Now, now that like reminds me. I think, I think it was against Juventus second leg when like Buffon got sent off in that game. I think Jesus Vallejo started with Rafael Varane. Ramos was out. Everyone was out. So, uh, like Z- Zidane could have like pulled it off somehow. Even and he probably would have like played Vallejo and like played uh, Alaba at left back or something. I don't know. Um, but unfortunately, Vallejo, I just saw he. Uh, yeah, saw he has COVID. COVID positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he has COVID. Rafa Marine has been has been called up, and also Militao is absent. Uh, anyway, so yeah, bit of shortage on center backs. Uh, the question that I wanted to ask both of you yes. is: We have been like frustrated over Carlo Ancelotti's tactics all season. Our frustration kind of boiled over the tipping point after the Clasico that this is just utterly unacceptable. But then we see this Chelsea game where the team is fit from a physical standpoint. The team is extremely composed and extremely well drilled from a tactical point of view. And they go on and deliver in a big game and a huge game like it's nobody's business. So 
that goes on to show actually that it's not that like Carlo Ancelotti still can do things. He can still do these kind of things. I'm pretty sure this was not all Davide Ancelotti. He Carlo had his his say in the end anyway. So I'm going to take this answer from both of you, starting with Eric, that like, if you could do this, why are you doing this on like the on the 46th game of the season? Why not the fifth game or, or the tenth game when like you you have enough of a sample size to gauge the condition or gauge the ability skill of your squad, and then you formulate a plan and uh, step ahead with that for the season? Why do you have to like do this when your back is against the wall? I think it's long COVID. <laughs> like he got COVID, he got sick, things changed in his head and he realized that he has more than enough midfielders to change the uh, midfielding position and he mm-hmm. saw the light under the, uh, saw the darkness under the light that Asensio actually apparently played his one of his best seasons. <laughs> of his, uh, of his uh, short-lived, short-lived, uh, not short-lived, apparently long-lived, uh, yeah, Real Madrid career. But yes, this is something we have been talking about for a long time. Uh, this uh, solution was not new. In fact, before we were talking about the first leg about this game, we have, we, we were talking about that we have enough players in our midfield to move things around. Mm. This is midfield is not one area of our uh, entire uh, game plan where we actually have the tactical mobility, tactical flexibility to bring something new, to add new ideas. Mm. So I think what was happening was uh, there has been some practice sessions where the four-man midfield uh, idea had been implemented and the results finally started showing that uh, Valverde can actually transition into that right attacking-minded midfielder slash striker, winger slash uh, the backup Mm -hmm. for Lucas Vasquez at the same time, essentially. So I guess that can be one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. But uh, apart from that, if that's not the reason, I'm honestly going to go ahead and stick with my call that it was long COVID and Uh, how about you, Charlie? What do you okay. think like changed? First of all, I agree with absolutely everything Eric said. That's a massive, massive part of it. But I'm going to go with the major cop-out answer of a broken clock is right twice a day. And <laughs> if you go a full season of having a serial winning manager that's kind of on the downturn, he's going to get it right, right at least one time. Mm-hmm. So that's... and. Honestly, just like the PSG comeback performance, it wasn't this exceptional performance from the team. There were aspects that were great. The playing out of the back was the best I've seen all season. It was fantastic. Defense was shaky at times. I mean, Courtois had to make a number of big stops, and Lukaku obviously missed a couple big chances as well. So I've always been a believer that in these big knockout games, tactics aren't as important as they are in your like league matches because mm-hmm. no hate to the like 16 lower teams in La Liga. They're on a different talent level than the teams are playing in these knockout rounds of the champions league. And of course you have a system and a tactical setup that you want to play in. But when it comes to playing another brilliant tactical manager with brilliant players, a lot of the time it just comes down to talent and mentality mm-hmm. amongst the players. And that's why these knockout games are so random at times. So I just, 
I don't know how much the tactics actually play into this. And obviously there is a certain element of it, but I've always been a person who's believed that there's a massive, massive element of chance in these knockout games. And Real Madrid just went into the last game with a better mentality. And I don't know where the playing out of the press came from. You're probably right, Eric, with the whole uh, the mid four man midfield kind of working as we mm-hmm. move into the season. I, I don't know. I think this is just a fluke. That'd be my, <laughs> my well, that, that's not a bad answer, actually. Because you know, <laughs> if we move on and then we play City, first of all, I don't think we're going to beat City, yeah, just yeah. like I didn't think we'd beat Chelsea. But I think we will really see Real Madrid's tactical standpoint in that game because I think Pep will just completely just lay our system out and yeah. show it for exactly what it is. And then we'll really know what we're up against. Cause I expected Tuchel to do that because he's so brilliant, but mm-hmm. we haven't faced an absolutely brilliant manager with a top team yet this season. Xavi's getting there. Yep. He's almost there on the tactical standpoint. He's almost there with the team standpoint. Yulin Lopetegui is there on the tactical point. His team is not at that super elite level yet. Mm-hmm. Same with Villarreal. But we haven't played a super team with a super manager yet. It's on form and playing for the manager. So I think that's what it really comes down to. Yep, we, we will cross the city bridge. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> if, if we get to that, we will cross that city bridge. But yeah, just to, just to add a little bit about that, like why Manchester City, again, hypothetically, if, if we get to face Manchester City, is going to be such a big test is because even at, our organizational best at our structural best we were out like uh, we were just you know carved out for a couple of games uh, in the 1920 season in the first leg we played played well for 80 minutes and then like t- last 10 minutes classic real madrid got everything wrong <laughs> conceded two goals out of the game and but it, then in manchester we were like given a really like harsh lesson in pressing and everything uh I expect similar things to happen again uh, if we face Manchester City. But then again, if we face Manchester City, if we get to face Manchester City, if Manchester City even makes it to the, the semifinal, they have a they have an, another interesting game, I think, in Madrid as well. Uh, on that note, I am going to finish this episode. I don't think we have any anything else to discuss about the game. Real Madrid's eleven is pretty much. Uh, given out so there's nothing really to ponder about that and I think we've covered pretty much the possibilities with Chelsea's 11 as well and anything to add guys I don't believe so all right all right sounds good thanks so much for everyone who listened to us on the S Una Final podcast and also who watched us uh, on Before the Storm as always how I end these episodes please be safe for the sake of yourself and your family uh, maintain the health restrictions and stay well we'll see you the next time take care